welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the Preparatory Podcast. My name is Samuel Jordison. My name is Andrew Smith. And Jason Kane is his name. That is my name. We are currently going through the Book of Mormon, chapter by chapter. Uh, when we last left our heroes, we were in Mosiah chapter 2. Again, just to start off the show, we want to thank everyone for their support and really their kind words that they've said to us. Um, and many donations. <laughs> All the donations of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, we appreciate the, the kind words for sure. Um, I'm pretty bad at accepting compliments. So if you run into me, I'll probably try and deflect. But we do really appreciate them and um, it encourages, encourages us to keep going. Right now, we probably already said this, but we're in Mosiah chapter 2. Coming off probably... The first, well, I shouldn't say the first because we've already heard some really good sermons, really good discourse from the previous spiritual giants in Nephi and Jacob. But King Benjamin has just delivered his first segment of his sermon slash speech, and we are diving into the second part. Real quick, I'll ask Andrew just to sum up the chapter. We'll probably hit chapters two and three just because three is a short chapter, but what can you tell us real quick? What's the five-second version of Mosiah chapter two? There's some good talking going on. That's the five-second version. <laughs> what about the 10-second uh, version? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some good talking in the form of him really summing up the gospel. I feel like I say that a lot, but he really does. He encapsulates. Capsulates? Okay. Encapsulates. Well, he, he captures the, <laughs> the, uh, the whole gospel, really, in however many verses this or these two chapters are. Uh, it's pretty good. I, I like your new this is a just kicking it off this and kicking it not with controversy it's not controversial it's uh just different because as far as i know there's um there's maybe one other spot where this happens in uh in the scriptures um so recapping chapter one mosiah uh, of mosiah king benjamin gives his speech his sermon and he talks about jesus he explains basically the the outline of salvation and how it'll happen through Jesus Christ. And he, he talks about what Jesus will do, um, who Jesus is. He talks about our kind of role to play in that. But in verses three, the people who have been listening to him are filled with the spirit and they, uh, they want to make a covenant with him, uh, with God, not with King Benjamin, <laughs> not with King Benjamin, but with God. Um, and so this is a little bit of an anomaly of the spirit being given before baptism of the water, baptism of the water. And another anomaly is actually takes place in third Nephi verse four, or sorry, chapter four, verse 50, when God speaks about baptizing the Lamanites without them even knowing it because of their hearts. But really, do you want to break that down? One of you want to break that down? What, what's going on here? Did you guys think about that at all when you were reading or, or how'd you look at, how do you look at that when it kind of breaks the pattern? What can we take from that? God was, works with people with where they are. And, and I mean, he knew their heart and he saw that they were in a place that after the king had, had just poured out his soul and in, in the message of Christ, really, that their hearts were in a place that they could accept the spirit, you know, and so they maybe hadn't been taught in such a way before or had been, I don't know, uh, yeah. God does stuff because it's the right way. And we don't often 
yeah see that it's the right way but it is yeah and, and what you see here is these people realize who they are in a way of them being aware of their own sins and shortfalls and all that and so they're they're crying out to god and they're recognizing what christ has done and it says they feel like they're less than the dust of the earth and so they're saying they believe in christ and then the the spirit comes down and gives them a piece of a piece as in you know not peace as in like a piece of something but Mm -hmm a piece of conscience because of their faith and you know, their faith in Christ. And so it, it's similar to a baptism. And this absolutely is not saying that baptism of the water isn't necessary, but that spirit can work in you. We're told that uh, it, at least a fraction of the spirit every man is born with. And so that, that spirit wants these people really kind of need the, the calming of the spirit God gives them to them. So from what, from what we know and what we've read about baptism, these people who are truly exercising uh, or trying to repent of their sins, if they are truly, then they no doubt um, entered into the waters of baptism. Eventually I just in verse uh, chapter three, verse seven, King Benjamin acknowledges the covenant they've made. So it's, I I agree with both of what you're saying and, Kind of, Andrew, what you touched on, it was like, God is God, and he often works in patterns, but using that verse from Isaiah, his ways are higher than our ways, and we're not always going to understand how he works, that we were never told we're going to understand everything he does or his patterns. And so I think this is just an exercise in saying, God knew what God is doing, and uh, we know what we've been called to do, so we can... We can keep doing what we've been instructing to. We can keep following that pattern. I think that's a solid pattern. Um, I think there's a reason we hold on to it. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, not to necessarily question God when he steps outside the box we try and put him in. I guess that's the, that's the. Yeah. And it goes both ways, too, of don't question when he goes outside of the box, but also don't think that now everything has to be outside of the box. Yeah, that's okay. you, know, you don't you don't just throw what you know out or you question what you already know because in this one instance something different happens than what we're used to, but um yeah. That's a solid point. I think um when we had uh Jim and um Fred in here, we talked about um how important discernment was in um in terms of everyday life and your interaction with the spirit and, and knowing and I think it speaks volumes to King Benjamin, who he was, and his gifts of discernment, and uh, and also probably of, of speaking and and his um, gift of humbleness. That uh, he was able to be receptive of that and able to say, "All right, God's doing what God's doing. Um, I'm just going to follow that lead," um, because we have evidence. We have the record here that tells us that he was always striving to be in that pattern that God had had told him to be a part of um do you guys have any uh, any notes about uh, any certain verses um i know i have one here in verse 28 but you might have something before that this chapter uh chapter two is very popular um the and when i started reading i i got to this part and i was like oh this is where this scripture is that we always read but in verse 12 through 17 
He just goes through everything that should be a part of our lives. Believe in God, believe that he is and that he created all things, believe he has wisdom and power. Then you must repent of your sins. And now if you believe in all these things, see that you do them. And, um, you know, that, uh, what more can you really say <laughs> at this point, and especially to a people that have, that have listened to, to, uh, what he said previously, um, this probably meant a lot. This took on new meaning for them because they had probably been told to repent before. Um, and they had probably been told to keep the commandments before, but that was before their heart was open to the spirit or, or, or whatever, whatever that change that had been wrought in their lives. And so this probably was like really impactful. This, this portion of him speaking to them as that took on a new uh, urgency or, or, um, importance. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I really like, um, the 21 and 22 when he caps that off, he says, humble yourselves calling on the name of the Lord daily and standing steadfastly. And if you're always doing this, you're always going to be rejoicing and you're always going to be filled with the love of God. Um, on my way over, I was driving, I don't really know where, maybe to here. Um, I was listening to the radio and there was a pastor um, talking, um, you know, one of the motivational kind of radio preachers, I guess, the little short clips they have. Um, but he was talking about how how you you can listen to two, you can live for two camps. You can live for what God has called you to, or you can live for what the world has deemed important and stuff like that. And uh, how you never will ever really feel like you've you've got it all until you actually find yourself living for the the side that doesn't make sense doesn't make sense to the world, and that's living for God. And I think that's kind of what King Benjamin is touching on here. He says that if you're if you're doing this, you're going to be filled. Um, do you, do either of you guys have examples of when you kind of stood boldly or? kind of decided, or maybe it was a long process of just, hey, this is who I am now. This is a main part of me. This is my characteristic is standing for Christ. Do either of you have examples of that? I, um, all three of us have, have done camps together, you know, as staffing and, and helping. And I had a testimony when I was younger where God spoke to me through an individual and it really meant a lot to me because of my family, family situation. But the uh, second part to that testimony was, that had always meant a lot to me, um, but I didn't really see that being any, any use for anyone else. Um, and it was probably one of the years where we were staffing it at a camp and um, there was a, a guy in one of the prayer circles that I was in. Uh, and it was, a, it was a small group, five or six or seven or of us. And, uh, you know, I, I was brought back to that, that exact time where that person had spoke to me under the influence of the spirit. And I knew I should... I should tell that person this the same thing that I was told. And um, I did it and it immediately I saw that, you know, God God works in in ways that, that cross space and time because it was the same thing that I had felt and I knew the experience that he was having because I had been there, you know, um, and I had finally seen, oh wow, this isn't just so that God makes me feel good. This is so that I can go out and reach other people and bring them closer to Christ, just as he reached out for me, you know? And, and that was like a, a really big deal because that was one of my foundational testimonies. And then I got to include someone else in on it. And, and that was really what like woke me up to, wow, this is, 
meaningful to other people. Was that at Mammoth Camp? Yeah. Was it at the prayer circle underneath the light post? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. We started at prayer circle underneath the, that's at Mammoth Camp. There was like a, there's the boys' cabins on one side of the camp and the girls' cabins on one side of the camp. And on the guy's side, there was like this lamp post that, um, I don't know when it started. I just remember I was, felt like I was there in its founding year. I don't know. Yeah, me too. So it would have been probably my second year, your first year, something like that. Maybe. But we, every night after devotions, we would gather outside that underneath that lamppost and we'd pray. And, uh, and it, it was like, it started out as like four of us and then five of us. But with the cool, the cool part, sorry, this has nothing to do with Andrew's testimony, but thank you, Andrew, for sharing. Uh, <laughs> um, I just got distracted about it. But then, um, it like carried on like the next year it was like everyone went there automatically the next year, it was just like something people were used to so um i only got to staff camp mammoth camp once and uh i think it was still going i talked to someone about it and they were like i don't think it's still going because i i've missed a few years now but which is disappointing but it's, it can always be brought up but that was cool i thought that something that carried over yeah, it, it it definitely started growing and growing. Um, even that that week, and it, it was cool to see. Um, talk about kind of standing up for Christ and you know, kind of defining moments. Um, I I am kind of where I'm at today because of it, it wasn't even like a experience in one day or anything. It was just, I had been kind of in the world for a couple years um, during the college-aged years and um, kind of doing my own thing and never really going away from God per se, but just you know not really being strong in anything. Um, but it got to a point where my wife now, but girlfriend at the time, we were dating and she always you know wanted someone who was a strong spiritual leader and someone who you know could lead a family you know in in a godly way and it kind of got to the point where she's like you know maybe maybe you're not it dude Hmm. Uh, and r.i.p yeah not and so that was kind of a wake-up call for me and you know you, you like to think that it doesn't take someone breaking up with you or anything for that to happen. And you would just, you know, want to be a spiritual person on your own. But that, the, the breakup that we had really led to me searching out Christ on my own. And so we, we were broken up for three months and I was able to really kind of come to Christ and focus on my personal relationship with him and we eventually got back together after we had kind of refocused our priorities on Christ first and then um, each other second. And um, really just getting that focus has really improved my life. And, I, um, and it's more than just, you know, I, I'm doing it for my wife. It's, it's definitely just as much for me now and my future family and well, I was gonna, I was going to ask you do you th- do you feel like that has encompassed all aspects of your life or just your married life like 
from what we get in this chapter, it's a, an all day, every day occurrence where it's like, you don't just get to humble yourselves when you're around certain people or when you're at church or whatever, but it's like a, it's almost like an integrity thing. Like, who are you? Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it definitely, if you're truly giving your will to God and I still struggle doing that, but it definitely is a more all encompassing thing. Um, you seek out the people who either one help encourage you or need encouragement themselves. And you're just able to, you know, focus on the activities that would help you help others or, um, help your own walk. Uh, just stuff like that. Me, me and my wife have been able to do a lot of stuff, um, just because of our relationship with God. Um, but yeah, it, it's not just married life. Uh, I've seen it in friendships, um, and our friendships and everything. Um, once we're closer to God, we're closer to each other too. So I, I've seen kind of a pattern that, uh, like it talks about in, in verse 23, kind of moving forward is that you grow in the knowledge, you know, like it, it might start in one aspect of your life, but then it starts spreading and it comes with that integrity, you know, like, Oh wow. I see the value of being this way in my relationship with my girlfriend. Like for instance, you know, and now I'm going to spread that to a, a different aspect in my life. And, and, and then it just kind of encompasses everything. Um, I really liked where it goes after that from verse 24 to 20, I don't know, 29 or 30, really, because it talks about like the, the overarching changes that will come by surrendering your entire life, not just one aspect. And so... In 24, it ends with to render every man according to to that which he's due. And and this really comes down to um, what you think people are due, you know. And, and I could ask you beforehand, before you had this experience, Jason, did you, if you were to say, if you were going to give society what they deserved, what would that have been? Punishment or reward? Our worldly society, I would say, deserves punishment. Yeah. And yeah, in yes. my mind too. And, and I feel like really while reading this, you know, that's our general reaction to, to the world around us. And it's not uncalled for. I mean, that's, that's what we see. It's sin. It's sinful and it's bad. And it's a lot of people that are hurt and suffering and, and it's hard to see sometimes. And yet Jesus looked at that same world and said, you know what you deserve? You deserve me. Like that, that's the best he's got you know mm -hmm. like that's the best god's got and and that's what he's due or that's what we're due you know uh, anyway so that's that's one of the cool things that i think once you you start to surrender more to god that you start to see that more people you know are just a, a product of the sinful world that they live in and and don't want to be the the, the way that they are and, and they really should be given jesus you know it's kind of like that c.s lewis quote that i'm gonna butcher but it's basically if i desire things of that are not of this world then there must be you know something greater or something like that um totally butcher i must belong to a world that that's yeah yeah you're, you're better that's at c.s lewis world. than i am so well we'll butcher it together <laughs> yeah if i find in me a desire that quote yeah, yeah. okay here it is 
Well, hold on, it's Lodi. <laughs> if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Yeah, there you go. And so, Christ, we're, we're made for a relationship with Christ. And a lot of the people that, you know, completely deny that, um, yeah, I do agree, is more of a product of all the outside forces. Um, and if you truly were able to humble yourself and come to Christ, then um, I can guarantee anyone, if you do that, you're going to have a more joyful life. But yeah, it's just a, the work of humbling yourself and coming to him. But. And a joyful life is not necessarily uh, hmm, how do I say this? An easy life. An easy life, mm-hmm. or a long life, or yeah. Uh, yeah, or sure. a, hmm, probably easy is the best word for it. But uh, but it is the most joyful. Um, I was listening to a sermon about uh, Francis Chance about he was he's an evangelical mm-hmm. guy. I actually sent it to Jason. Um, oh, yeah. But he talked about the church in China and some of the stuff that the church in China has gone through. Um, but that the saints in China actively look to make sure their suffering glorifies Christ. Not that they seek out suffering, but that the, the suffering and the persecution they endure, they gladly wear as a badge of honor saying, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I will go through whatever I need to for you. Which is a huge shift in looking at, at what your life needs. But it is joyful and it's the best the best life um truly is being encouraged or being filled with that spirit with that love of god that that every man really yearns for even if they don't know it all right and just one more quick thing that i found interesting about that the church in china is that they only considered yourself to be a real christian once you had converted somebody yeah i thought you know how big with a church would be if we considered ourselves real Christians only after you converted somebody, yeah. we'd be much smaller. Yeah. And your you kids know? don't count. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. And your kids don't count. Yeah. That, that would be crazy. But if we were successful, that would be way better. Oh, yeah. yeah. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Which brings it up should an, be that way, an interesting know? point. Um, I've asked a couple people this. Do you think uh, the church needs to be persecuted? I wouldn't say it needs to be persecuted, but I would say there's a lot of faith building that comes through persecution. That's, yeah, that's probably, my immediate thought. Yeah. We talked about this at our last home visit and we had some good discussion behind it. What, what was his answer? Do you remember? Um, no, he asked the question. Oh, think, you're right. You're right. I think. And, uh, I don't know. And my first instinct was, was the same way of like, Jason was like, well, we don't need it. But then I was like, but I can't find an example of the church functioning, how it's supposed to, and where persecution does not happen to that generation you might have you might have uh, the church like one generation removed so like so my first thought when that question was asked was like well no because the saints um in third nephi when jesus comes down th- and then i was like well they actually did go through a form of persecution in terms of like the buildings like just massive amounts of destruction massive amounts of like darkness pain, and stuff, fire yeah, darkness yeah. fire um and then being told like hey if you wouldn't have killed the prophets you wouldn't be here right now like and and it does say that the more well not even the more righteous of but like the less wicked of them that's the ones who kind of survived and so it was like just getting to meet jesus face to face you have the most 
happy people ever. Uh, I, I believe the Book of Mormon says that and that there was there was no manner of ites. They were just super happy. The best life. They were the happyites. <laughs> happy the happyites. And so there's a form of persecution there. And then their kids, um, there's a few generations where it gets to like the fourth. Yeah, I think so. When, when they become yeah. wicked again. But um, so in that sense, I guess you don't need the persecution. But to get to where, I don't know if I can think of an example where the church isn't persecuted and it's still has top marks, which is scary because we really don't want persecution. I mean, who wants persecution? Yeah. It could almost be that, well, so Satan's always going to be warring against the church. Um, and that can manifest itself in many different ways. So you could almost say that the more righteous the church is, the natural consequence almost is that there's going to be persecution because we live in a world <laughs> where you know, righteousness isn't necessarily what's glorified. And so the more righteous the church is, there's always going to be some sort of opposition because man loves themselves and the natural man's an enemy to God and all this stuff. So there's going to be at least some sort of opposition, I think, always to the church until the end when there's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only, the only uh, example I can think of is Enoch in Genesis I guess and like so, his yeah. people, like they're the only people that I can think of that half of them weren't killed or, or like they, you know, like yeah. things were taken from them or, or something like that. They, they were caused to repent, but it was just because of the power that Enoch and the people were like preaching at them. He was like, you're going to die if you don't do this. And, and that's what caused them to do it. And so like, I, I guess it's just more, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's possible, but do I think it's going to happen that way? Probably not. Well, you look at the early church, the 1800s, like there's never a time when they weren't being persecuted either. They're run out of their towns regularly. And a lot of that was even their own doing though, because they were self-righteous, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I, yeah. Yeah. Th they're, they're just adding to the examples of there is not many times when, the church hasn't been persecuted, but and they were also seeing a, a lot of blessings too. I think through that persecution to, yeah. to Jason's yeah. point of like, yeah. they were having powerful revelations given to, even if they were chastisements. That, right. Yeah. And, and really Christians in general kind of like to feel like they're being persecuted <laughs> in a odd way. I think um, it's just everybody, but yeah, Christians that, that is are true. included. Yeah. Everyone likes to feel like they're, being wronged or something it's true. um for some reason it's it's weird but realistically pride besides it's true besides places not in the u.s like in the u.s if you're a christian like you're not really being persecuted there's definitely people <laughs> who don't like us but that doesn't necessarily mean we're being like killed in the streets or anything um but if you want to really have you guys seen the insanity of god documentary I've heard of it. It's actually like a, I say documentary. They, it's a, it's a collection. A, it's a collection of yeah. testimonies. And then it's not a documentary in the sense that they, but they recreate experiences. Uh, they recreate the testimonies 
for the movie basically and then they mm-hmm. show that happening in movie format so they have actors obviously but it's not a documentary in that sense but it's super amazing to see because it happened to this uh i believe he's a southern baptist minister he's a missionary their son died on a missionary trip and they basically him and his wife went through this question of is god even worth it like we lost our son and so then they come across all these people who are actually persecuted through um, they they talked to people who are in Soviet Russia in uh, in China in um, this one in the Middle Africa. East. There was one in the Middle East where uh, crazy testimony of a guy. Now we're getting kind of off track, but it's okay because it's a cool, it's a super cool testimony. This guy worked for didn't work. He was um, Islamist military. He's a rebel basically he, he, in this country, and he was trying to stop. Um, invading forces from coming in and throughout his rebellious career he killed he said he stopped counting after a hundred like he lost track of the people he killed after a hundred and his favorite way to kill people was to sneak up behind them and slit their throats because he could feel the blood running over his hands and he took that as a tribute to Allah and I'm not going to do this testimony justice You, you need to watch it's called the insanity of God um, I believe you can rent it online or or even buy it. But anyway, so he did this for a while and he lost track after 100 kills and, and stuff like that. Terrible stuff. But he began to have these dreams. And in these dreams, he, uh, his, he would look down and his hands were covered in blood. And he would try and wash his hands in the night. And he, he could never get the blood off. And he said he just had these dreams over and over where his arms would be covered in blood. And he said it got so bad to the point where he began to see the blood on his hands when he was awake. Like when he was walking around in the day, he would look down and his arms would just be covered in blood and he would freak out. And he's like, I can't get, and he, so he'd be washing his hands all the time trying to get it off. But you know, there's nothing there until finally he had a dream in which he saw a, a man in white and who was Christ. And he said, I can get that blood off of you find me and so in, through this journey he he seeks after jesus he finally finds him and he comes to know christ and he's forgiven and a miraculous testimony but through that he then starts taking um bibles into this muslim country and and working for christ and uh it's just a huge turnaround but those are some of the example of people who are under oh we were talking about persecution he was kind of doing the persecution but still crazy that that's what happens when, mm-hmm. but, but through, oh, sorry, the actual persecution that happened to him is then he was sneaking around trying to deliver Bibles and, and, and things to people in need and share Christ in a hostile country where he had helped create. So really cool experience. Um, there's, there's tons of them out there. And that goes back to, you know, what we were talking about before God working with whoever <laughs> will find him, you know, mm-hmm. um, there wasn't anyone, uh, you're never too far gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get too far gone, <laughs> to segue into that, uh, let's talk about um, verse versus, um, well, the beggar verses. Because a huge part of King Benjamin's charge after they want to take on the covenant of being Christians is, um, is found in verse uh, 28 through 30 or 31 probably and it's basically about um when someone who needs stuff comes to you 
you you cannot say the man has brought upon himself his misery therefore i will stay my hand i will not give unto him my food not impart unto him my substance that he may not suffer for his punishments are just um, and this is the the real big part but i say unto you O man Whoever doeth this, the same hath great cause to repent. And except he repenteth of that which he hath done, he perisheth forever and hath no interest in the kingdom of God. For behold, are we not all beggars? Um, Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God, for all the substance which we have? Which is a radical idea. What do you guys think about that verse? Because uh, I think there's a culture... And, I, and I'm going to say it's a culture that reaches f- into the church pretty prevalently. I don't know if I've heard it preached from the pro- pulpit or anything like that. I just think that it's a pretty ingrained idea that we should be wise with our money and not. And then there's this justification of don't enable things like this. This speaks pretty heavily against it, I'd say, um, or that thinking what are your thoughts i think that if you truly look at the scriptures there's really no room for us to think that we're capable of making a judgment on who to give to regardless of what they're going to do with whatever you give now there's room for you know, giving someone a meal instead of 20 bucks or whatever, if that's what you really want to do. But regardless, you're, you give to those who are in need and then whatever they do with that is on them and not us. But we have to live up to our side of the bargain because we're, we're held accountable for the people that we're capable of helping and we don't. I think the uh, the answer coming from a justification side that you mentioned comes from a place where you just value money too much. You see it as something that life is based around, and uh, life is based around God, and that's it. And so, if I mean, if somebody asks for money, oh yeah, sure, I don't, I don't care, you know, kind of mm-hmm. kind of thing. And if you don't have any, well, sorry, you know, like a. That's where you say silver and gold have I none, but I'm going to give you what I have, you know, and that's God. And so I don't know. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's this article shared on Facebook that I came across. It goes, what to do when you meet a beggar? <laughs> Very self-explanatory. On it. But it had in a story that I, I really liked and it, and it was um, C.S. Lewis's stepson um, told the story. You may have heard it before. But it had to do with C.S. Lewis. He was walking down the street with a friend one time, and uh, a beggar came up to him and he said, uh, "Can I have? You got Can I have something? Like, I just need whatever you got." And C.S. Lewis's friend kept walking, and C.S. Lewis stopped. He emptied out its, his wallet, gave everything he had to the to the guy begging, and then caught up with his friend. And uh, his friend said, "You know, Jack, you shouldn't have done that because all he's going to do is spend it on drink." And C.S. Lewis says, well, that's what I was going to do. Like, so, you know, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, you know, uh, I mean, not not making light of like, I know that that probably most people listening to this, this show probably don't drink excessively, if at all. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure that most of us probably don't have, well, I sh- you know, I don't imagine that most of our audience has problems with substances or 
or harmful uh, abuse like that. But it's possible that some of us do. But um, the point being, just like what you said, is that <laughs> it just came to a point where he you value your money over them possibly changing uh, their life or using it for good when they really need it. My fiance is always really good at giving people money and then asking to pray with them. And I haven't gotten like, I'm, I've been better about giving people money, but usually I'm just like, here's the money. And then I'll keep going. And I'm not too good at saying, can I pray for you or anything like that? But I have gotten better at, at learning that, you know, what am I going to do with this money in my wallet? Well, I'm probably going to spend it on fast food or just quick trip or, or food in general. And do I need that? No, <laughs> like honestly, no, you know, so they, it's just as much theirs as it is mine in my wallet. Cause I was given it by God and, and their children of, of God. Too. I mean, I'd give my brother money if he asked for it. So I might as well, you know, give them as, as fellow beings created by Christ. I, I agree though, that, it, you know, if someone came up to you and was like, Hey, can I have money for drugs? <laughs> uh, you know, there's a line there saying no. I, I actually had an experience like that. I worked downtown for three years in um, downtown Kansas City. And I would walk to lunch every day. And there was a CVS kind of close to where I worked. And I was walking down to a restaurant near it. And a guy comes up to me and is like, hey, man, could you give me some money. Like just, I need something. And I'm like, um, you know, sure. What do you need? And, uh, what, what, what are you, uh, wanting? Do you need some food or anything? And so I asked him a few questions and he was like, he's like, no, nah, I got a bologna sandwich. I'm fine. I just need some alcohol. <laughs> and he, he doesn't say that until like I'm halfway down, just walking to like try and get him some food. And he's like, no, nah, I actually don't need food. And I'm just gonna, have alcohol and i'm like well never mind <laughs> i was like I, I can't willingly you know just give my money for something i absolutely know is going to bad use and i think he also wanted me to buy it for him too and i'm like yeah i'm not gonna do that yeah. so, <laughs> it's like but anyways yeah there there is still some wisdom to be had in situations like that but Really, if someone's just asking because they need something, you should be pretty freely giving. And really, I could have been like turned it to Christ in some way or at least try and pray with him or something like that. He wasn't like a dangerous guy. He just wanted to mm -hmm. numb the pain. But so, yeah, there there still is something you can do to help. Well, I think the the real danger about refusing like uh, another example would be if you don't even have enough money to barely get by <laughs> you know you you can make the case that the lord will bless you for for blessing others but i i, I think that's a personal decision i i don't think well doesn't it your is, fiance have a testimony about that too yeah even? she does uh she was like basically broke and she gave the last 20 dollars she had to someone who she thought might need it and uh just completely broke didn't know how she's gonna fill up get anywhere and uh, one day a lady came up to her and said, hey, uh, what's your name? And she's like, Zoe. And then the lady said, what are you doing? And she kind of told her she was in school and stuff. And the lady handed her $100 and walked off. And uh, so I was like, thank you, Lord. Like, that is a huge, huge blessing. I, so sorry. The real, I think the danger is the justification for disobedience in our mind when we say, how can I get out 
of giving my money? Like how how can I make sure that I get a hold on to this $20 bill and not give it to that guy? You know what it is? He'll probably use it for drugs or he'll probably use it for alcohol. That's the huge danger. And it, and it's a and it's a um and it'll start like that and then before you know it it'll creep into other parts of your life where you're not even where it's not even about money it's just about you and how prideful you can you can get and how how many sins you can justify getting away with while you judge everybody else well and that kind of gets into a discussion about you know, letter of the law and spirit of the law in terms of like if you're starting to justify ways you can be disobedient in other ways like like you have some in jewish culture who's like you don't work on the Sabbath, but then they have the, oh, what's, what are they called? The people who do things for them. Oh, oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't remember yeah. what they're called. I don't know either, but I can look it up. But yeah, so it's like they make other people who aren't Jewish do work for them or get them things that they need. So it's like it kind of ruins the point of that law. It's like you're making someone else who, if you think... A shabos? A sh- uh Sorry, I interrupted. No, you're good. Shabo, Shabois Goy? I don't know. A, go, a, a, goy, a goy. Is yeah. a non-Jew who performs certain activities which Jewish religious law prohibits a Jew from doing on the Sabbath. Yeah. So it's like, if you have that, what what's the point? You're, if you think your law shouldn't apply to everyone, basically, then you're making someone else sin in their eyes. And, but yeah, so there's justifications that you can make to be disobedient to God, but you're still sinning if you're even if you're justified in your own mind like it's just to kill your own guilt but mm-hmm. if you're sinning you're sinning so it doesn't really matter what you think about it he calls that out in verse 37 and says if you judge the man who putteth up his petition to you for your substance that he perish not and condemn him how much more just will be your condemnation for withholding your substance which does not even belong to you but to god to whom also your life belongs to, you know, and like he just flat out says, listen, you're judging people and telling like, because uh, I'm sure this was a trick that that Satan used to them back then, too. It was like, well, oh, they're yeah. just going to be unwise in their investments or, or something right. like that. And, well, and it's ridiculous. This, uh, this, But just going back in time, I mean, America being one of the most wealthiest countries, ever, it's like, you know, if you went back and... Th- I'm sure there was tons more beggars than there are now because everyone was <laughs> poor. Yeah. Like uh, no yeah. one had, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, you get, I mean, you know, when we go to Kenya or when you go to India, I mean, that's how it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. the kind of the same society in which a lot of people are living in the street. And, and I mean, these are people who, yeah, they might not use the money wisely, but they need it, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. So, yeah. and, and this, I've already talked about this off the podcast, but it, it really goes into a type and shadow of our relationship with Christ. And we are given freely grace and we did not do anything to earn that. And we abuse it too. Like we're using the grace we get to go and sin more. And that's just like us giving someone else money and them using it on drugs. Like it's pretty much the exact same thing. And in verse 33, it's saying basically we're begging for forgiveness. Like we are 
on the side of the eternal road and just begging. And we might have our own worldly life figured out, but in the spiritual realm, we are, we are just begging. And Mm -hmm. the, the beautiful thing is God's like beggars come to me type thing. (laughs) He's, he's such a free giver, um, regardless of if we've earned it or not. And the thing is, he knows your heart. We don't know the people's hearts like who are asking for money, but he knows he looks into my heart when I'm asking for forgiveness and says, okay, you're going to sin this way again, Mm -hmm. but he still does it, you know? And so like, if he does that, then how, when we can't see into somebody's heart, how can we not give? Yeah. Let's move, push into chapter three real quick, just because it's a short chapter. I mentioned there in verse seven, that's when they make, uh, or King Benjamin acknowledges that they've made a covenant in, in verse seven and, and, and eight. And the, the consequence, the good consequence of that is verses 11 through 21. It says, what does it mean to take upon us? Or sorry, it's, it's telling us what it means to take us upon us, the name of Christ. And I, and I think about the word Christian today. And in some circles, it's a completely negative connotation of like hypocrite. Um, I think in other circles, it's a positive connotation of, oh, those are my people. And we're going to get along, long great because I, you know, just because we have shared experiences or, or whatever, we can talk about church. Um, I That's happened at my, in my work before. It's like, oh, well, you're a Christian? Well, I'm a Christian too. So we can, we have that in common and there's, there's a place to go from there. And it, it's a positive interaction, you know, but what does the word or taking upon us the name of Christ really mean? I think that we touched on it a little bit just previous where we share one another's burdens, where we are, giving freely giving and then uh the the next part there at the end of verse 11 it says you should be obedient until the end of your lives so that could be fleshed out a lot more but i guess uh it can be summed up as be obedient for the rest of your lives do you guys have anything you want to add about either um, being a christian taking upon you the name of christ before we close i know we've kind of talked about it on the podcast before but um or anything else from verse three or two um, before we wrap up here I really, um, in verses eight and nine in chapter three, I really saw a parallel between those verses and first Peter one, three, and the, the following verses in that chapter. First Peter is probably my favorite book now. I read it a couple of months ago and boy, I just was like, man, everything in this book is just awesome. You like it better than Enos? I do. You know? Traitor. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to say. <laughs> the only acceptable answer now is Enos. Yeah. But, you know, it's all summed up in, in verse three is that God, our Father, through Christ and through his mercy has begotten us again. And, and, it, and it's a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and from that uh, resurrection and from that sacrifice, we get an inheritance incorruptible and and you know we we've read a lot in mosiah about the change that's that's been in the these people's lives like they've they've listened to their king and and they're like wow this this is what something i want and so i'm gonna change so they make a covenant um and it really is just a, a process of changing your entire being uh you are born again as as the the protestant world says i mean the you are different. And, and we find that we talked about that when Amos was our guest uh, a long time ago, was that 
for some people, it was their baptism. And for some people, it wasn't their baptism. It was much after we shared our testimonies of, of being truly converted. And that's one of the reasons I really like this. One of the reasons I really like First Peter is that you see a change. But that change is really something important. It's the most important testimony we can give to the world around us. So it's just something I appreciated. Yep. The only thing I'd add is just it shows here that the only way to not be of Christ is through transgression. And even then, if you repent and turn away from that, then you're right back on the right side. And um, so, yeah, a lot of this is talking about just remembering kind of who you represent and, you know, whose you are <laughs> my my parents when i would when i was still living with them and would go out they would always say uh, remember who you are and whose you are and that was saying you know don't embarrass us and also remember <laughs> your gods uh, and so yeah I, I always appreciated that even though it was kind of a cliche that I they think always funny, said because my mom did that too. yeah um, yeah actually it was like I don't know where it's probably halfway through high school when she started adding remember whose you are too so maybe she got it from your mom or something <laughs> like that and added it in there i don't know so remember who you are remember whose you are yeah like, yeah um i think that's a good spot to end um thank you for for listening again if you have any questions comments you want to be a guest you want to prove uh, i should say prove us wrong uh if you want if you want to talk about something you know welcome you're welcome to come on we'd love to have have you Thank you for continuing to listen and, and stick with us. And I guess I guess we'll end there. Uh, God bless. Thank you. Bye.